Hi, my name is Hero Bean Stevenson, and you're listening to the All of Us podcast, where we explore and embrace mental health through the simple act of honest conversation. Before we get into it, I'd like to mention that in sharing my personal experiences and insights, I do not claim to be an authority or expert on any of the issues that might come up in the discussion you're about to hear. These conversations include in-depth discussion around various mental health-related topics, the details of which may be triggering to some. So please take care while listening. Finally, thank you for coming and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the All of Us podcast, episode 18. Today, you'll be hearing a very special conversation between me and Megan Monahan. Megan is a meditation teacher who began learning to meditate at Deepak Chopra's Chopra Center in 2009 and started teaching shortly thereafter. She now shares her practice with thousands of people with the goal of infusing modern-day realness into, as she puts it, the all-too-often esoteric landscape of meditation. Along with teaching privately, Megan works with brands like Lululemon, Unplug Meditation, Netflix, Facebook, and Wanderlust. Her first book, Don't Hate, Meditate, was published just this last year and is a welcoming, unintimidating guide to meditation. In this episode, Megan offers me some sage advice on getting through a personal roadblock that I've had to deal with recently. We talk about her own path towards finding meditation and her uniquely real approach to teaching meditation today. So without further ado, here is me and Megan Monahan. Hi, love. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too, hon. How are you um, feeling? I'm feeling okay it's interesting I kind of I'm having one of those days where so I went to the the barn this morning because I ride horses and my trainer asked me how I was doing and I was like yeah I'm I'm good and then I realized that I wasn't good (laughs) and that I was actually super anxious and kind of just um so the bad news that I had which I guess we'll we'll jump right into talking about everything but what happened was I had applied to USC mm-hmm. to get an to go and do their master's in marriage and family therapy program. And I went to USC as an undergrad and I worked very hard in college and have always yeah. been like kind of an academic overachiever. Um, and really when it comes to any sort of academic pursuit, haven't experienced any rejection ever. And I completely got rejected from this program. I made it to the first round of interviews. I had my interview. I thought it went great. And then last, not last night, but the night before, I had a terrible nightmare that I had gotten rejected from this program. And I woke up and I wasn't supposed to get any kind of notification until February. And I had this email from USC saying that there there was a decision in my notification box. And I checked this decision. And they said they couldn't take me. And I just felt really defeated. And I'm somebody that really thrives on having a plan. And I felt like I was really comfortable in this kind of waiting period of like, oh, like I've done all I can with my application. I'm just waiting. And I was definitely expecting to hear yes. So when all of a sudden what I was expecting for myself just wasn't going to happen anymore. It was really jarring and made me kind of, I think I've been thinking a lot about what aspect of it was so disappointing to me. And I think it wasn't about going to USC because even when I went to USC, I transferred in and I wasn't really a part of the whole like Trojan family. Yeah. Um, And that didn't really matter to me. And I think I wanted to do, it's very important to me still to do an MFT program. And this is not stopping me, but I wanted to be able to stay in LA and this would just seemed like a very kind of convenient thing. So I was really wondering what aspect of the rejection was kind of like really upsetting to me. And I think it was feeling, again, this goes back to, and we're really jumping in now, but it goes back to, um, 
when I did the work around my eating disorder, like that, a lot of that, I think anyone who has an eating disorder knows that a lot of it comes from feeling a lack of control. And so this, again, like I felt so in control of my application process. And then I just like wasn't. And right now, like I'm in the process of applying to these other programs now, kind of all of a sudden, but I feel so out of control. So I feel a little floaty. You feel a little like triggered and activated. (laughs) Totally. Amongst feeling disappointed and, you know, amongst all those other feelings, you know, I think it's so interesting the, the illusion of control that's so easy to feel safe in. Mm -hmm. So even just you acknowledging, I felt really okay, even though I knew I wasn't going to know until February, like that amount of uncertainty, you decided you could stomach. So totally okay. And you were right. So it's just, it's so interesting how we, we get comfortable with what we don't know, but only to the point that we've decided is okay. And then after that, right. Right. And so when, when those things change, when that timeline, sh- you know, whatever it is, all of a sudden it's not okay to not know. Totally. Yeah. Because, because a, any number of things can happen. Things could have happened even if you had gotten in that would have made it impossible for you to end up going or that program could have been like the, the uncertainty and the impermanence is there with everything, even the things that feel very certain mm. and very secure and very stable. And it's such a, like I said, it's such a false sense of security that we, that we allow ourselves to surrender into. And it's funny. It, yeah. We put a lot of weight into plans. Yeah. 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 My two biggest, my two biggest things that I remind myself of all the time are that if you allow yourself to go far enough out in the timeline, if you look back, you can always find the, the evidence that that moment worked out exactly as it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to travel a little farther out than you want to. And we get a little impatient with seeing, you know, the divine plan, you know, become, become, become clear. Um, but it, but it always does. So sometimes things not working out are really because the right thing is working its way in. Sometimes space is created because what it is that you really want that maybe you didn't cognize yet, that maybe you didn't have an awareness of yet, it needed more room to land. Yeah, completely. I completely agree. I also tell myself all the time, maybe I don't know what's best. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's best, you know, because we're so, we get so attached to what we think is best. And we decide that based on our current situation right now. So like present moment hero is like, I know what's best going to USC, doing this program in this location at this time, that's what's best. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, the version of you that exists in two weeks might be able to say, wow, I'm so glad that didn't work out. That wasn't what was best at all. It turns out this is what's best, you know? Completely. Sorry. I had to fix that. Oh, that's okay. Um, yes, I completely agree with that. And I think the one thing that has really, uh, I don't know, I think I've been, I've actually, I've been pretty good in terms of how, the funny thing is that I had no expectation of how I was going to react if it didn't happen my way, because that wasn't an option for me, Mm -hmm. which I think that was where I made a mistake is I think you need to, I think setting yourself, having expectations is sort of setting yourself up for disappointment Mm-hmm. Even if things mostly, as they have for me in this facet of my life, gone yeah. gone my way, eventually it wasn't going to go my way. For nobody does it go their way every single time. So I think that I've considering all of that, I think I've done a pretty good job at putting things in perspective and understanding that just because a certain group of people thought that I didn't fit for that program this year doesn't mean that I all of a sudden like failed in college or that I'm not a good person or that I'm not going to be a great therapist or that I'm not, it doesn't mean any of that. It just means that to these certain people, I wasn't a right fit for that specific program. Yeah. And so that factors that go into that kind of choice. Totally. And, and there are so many things in life that, that are not objective, that feel very black and white, but are not very objective at all, you know, and that's why it's so important to not, attach your sense of self or your self-worth to what the outside looks like. Yeah. 
Completely. Thank you. You're such a a wellspring of knowledge. This is so, like I said before we started this, I think if there's anything that I really, I guess this is a funny word, but like need right now, it's talking to somebody like you. It just feels so bright and positive and and constructive and and great. I'm so grateful to be talking to you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing, good. you know, I'm, I'm still navigating this year, just like we all are and really, um, really focusing on, really focusing on digesting any kind of residue that's still left within me from this year. Mm. So that as we move into next year, there's a sense of clarity and a sense of direction and intention. Cause I think this year has been a lot of, um, a lot of plot twists, right? A lot of really, yeah undesirable plot twists and it's felt very reactive which is not how I live my life generally Mm. speaking and I think you can even when the world is being reactive you can be in a more responsive state but but it's been um it's taken a lot more of myself to be in that responsive state this year and there's been a lot of questioning and redefining and re-evaluating not not unlike what a lot of people are are dealing with so I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I'm feeling very connected to the idea of possibility. Mm. And I'm really trying to anchor into, into that expansive, you know, lane of abundance in, in always not, not financial, you know, mm-hmm. well, that too. I'm fine. I'm fine with that universe, but yeah. in always, um, because I think, I think it's important to check in with what the energy is that's around you, which right now still feels very, um, collectively still feels very constricted, still feels very fear-based, still feels very limited. So, so while I can acknowledge all of that, I'm really intentionally leaning into, you know, possibility and trying to stay in that mindset. Mm. Are you somebody that sets, that does practices around setting intentions going into a new year? Is that something that you do kind of every year? I, I get really clear on what I, I get really clear on how I want to feel. Mm-hmm. So I look at kind of like the biggest lanes of my life, whether it's, you know, a romantic relationship, my, my professional lane, my relationship with money, my relationship with family, with friends, with myself. And then there's kind of like subdivisions within myself, with mm-hmm. my body, with my mind, with my, right. So I look at all of those areas and I ask myself, how do I want to feel? in those areas. And I kind of connect with, with that version of myself that is playing the role of, you know, author and meditation teacher. And I, you know, look at the role of, of being a partner and I look at the role of being a daughter whatever it might be. And I ask myself, how do I want to feel? And I kind of imagine that version of myself. So I always start there mm-hmm. whenever I'm looking at what I want to create for the next year, rather than starting with the tangible, because as you are experiencing, the tangible is something that we don't have control over. And a lot of times we get attached to a specific outcome when, when sometimes that's not A, what happens, or B, that might not be the, the best version mm-hmm. of what I really want. So if, if I say, oh, I really want another book deal, right? That, that may or may not happen. But if I can say, really clearly within myself, I want to continue to expand my reach and, and teach more people and share with more people what I know and, and hold to be true and has helped me. And I'm open to the best possible version of that. Then I can allow the universe to step in and do things that are greater than me. You know, Mm. we tend to lean into the parts of ourselves, like our mind that are the most constricted. And we try to put all the puzzle pieces together from that place. When in reality, the universe is there, like waiting to guide us, waiting to move the bigger pieces that aren't even in the same puzzle as us right now. You know, there's so much magic and synchronicity and possibility that we have access to when, when we just get out of the way. So Mm. I tend to do a lot of that work, that like high level manifesting right at the beginning of the year. And, and yeah, there might be things that I, you know, attached to as like a dream, like, wouldn't it be, I tend to play the, like, wouldn't it be cool if game, Mm -hmm. just keep it like light and fun with the universe. Like, wouldn't it be cool if I did get another book deal? Cause that sounds fun. Wouldn't it be cool if I did get to go teach in France? Wouldn't it be cool? But I also always preface 
any physical, tangible desire that I attach to with, I ask for this or better. Mm. Yes. I feel like that opens up a channel so much. I think a lot of the time, even what we define or set as these dreamy ambitions or goals, they, whether it's conscious or not, are dreams and goals that compute and make sense within what we think is possible, given what we've done already. Yeah, we dream so, from our current state of reality. So even though it seems like a lofty goal, it can be very confining a lot of the time. It sets a, it sets a ceiling on, on what you're capable of. So I think I really agree with, yeah. with that process. You know, there's a part of your mind, too, that is looking for proof of concept. So in order to feel safe dreaming about whatever it is, there's a part of you that needs to see it to, to then be able to want it. Mm -hmm. And again, you're just, you're, you're selling yourself so short, you know, it's the difference between, you know, I'll see it when I believe it. And when I believe it, then I'll see it. So if you can let go of that need for, for the roadmap to be laid out, you know, I talk about in my book, I talk about the idea of like a spiritual GPS. Mm-hmm. So when you use, when you use Waze or, or Google maps, whatever it is, whatever your directional app of choice is, you know, you put in the, you put in the destination and then, and then you let it fill in the details. And if you can surrender to being guided, then along the way, when it says, oh, there's an accident, do you want to go this way instead? Or, oh, we found a faster route. This is seven minutes faster. Do you want to go this way instead? You can say yes and be redirected and, and really kind of feel ushered onto this path of least resistance mm-hmm. to get you where, to get you where you want to go. You know, I think we, we stop ourselves from, from dreaming because we can't see the path there and, and you don't need to see the path to trust that that path will be revealed. Totally. Yeah. I think that makes so much sense. And I think the thing is it, I really like the analogy of the of the navigation system because we do put so much trust into these predetermined paths and even when they change because we can see it physically on the screen that for us gives us some sort of there's proof there there's it's laid out there's data behind it it's very cut and dry and visual and I think with what you do professionally and what is so healing in terms of the in the what you can't see the invisible you deal in in the invisible yeah. in the invisible paths yeah. that we take and that we need to sometimes really surrender to and the beauty of that yeah. and i would love to know first of all when in your life you first discovered meditation and mindfulness and also what led you specifically to trust it to trust what you couldn't see and that, that healing path. Yeah. So I found meditation formally when I was 23. I didn't grow up with any of this. I didn't have a connection to, I mean, I certainly grew up with, with a connection to, to my church and a sense of faith, but certainly not in an embodied, like I trust, I trust in God. And then like, I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. Um, It felt more like a community that I was connected to, but Um, but I found meditation at at 22, 23 ish purely because I was losing my shit purely because I was stressed. My body was breaking down because of stress. I was, you know, having to get non-vital organs removed from stress, like really serious Mm. physical symptoms that were, that were not okay, that were not able to be ignored. And I found meditation purely to navigate the stressors in my life. It had a lot to do with my relationship with my dad who had alcoholism issues and who was um, quite sick from that and, and having to come to terms with, with the likely outcome of Mm. his alcoholism. And a lot hit me at that age. And I clearly had spent a whole lot of time throughout my life saying I'm fine, but was very much not fine and not Mm -hmm. acknowledging. I feel angry. I feel anxious. I feel scared. I feel whatever it might be. So it all came to a head and I learned how to meditate. And not long after learning how to meditate, I started to feel a deep sense of, a deep sense of peace and a sense of I can heal and I can see a different version of myself and of my life. 
and a, and a real connection to a sense of purpose and a desire mm. to help people transform their lives the way that mine was feeling transformed, the way that my relationships were being healed, the way that my body was being healed. And, and I quit my job in the music industry. And, uh, you know, after a year and a half of doing, you know, work around meditation as, as a student, um, quit my job and ended up getting a job working for Deepak Chopra, which is where I learned how to meditate and moved to San Diego to work for him. And so it was a very, um, it was a very leap of faith mm-hmm. act. Yeah. And so when you talk about trusting, trusting that for the first time, consciously trusting it for the first time was at that point in my journey. And it was, and it was because I had started to invite in the idea of synchronicity of meaningful coincidences. Mm. And as I was meditating and as I was getting clearer on what I wanted to feel and create in my life, I started to see really clear synchronistic evidence that I wasn't alone, that like the universe had my back, that I was being guided. And, and when I let go of the idea that it needed to be hard or that I needed to figure everything out, it all just started getting figured out on my behalf. You know, Mm. I got a job working for the biggest person in wellness without ever applying for a job working for the biggest person in wellness, you know, with like an interview, but, but not having any actual experience that was direct to what I was doing. You know, I got an apartment really effortlessly. I, things, things, things figured themselves out. The details worked themselves out. And all I had to do was keep saying yes. So it's not to say that every, every journey will be effortless and easy. There are, there are times when saying yes and when showing up might feel a little bit harder. There might be some adversity that you have to move through, but, but it's also just not as hard as, as we think. And the work, I've always found that the real work is done internally. So Mm. there was massive amounts of work building that muscle of trust, massive amounts of work building that muscle of presence, of self-worth to even acknowledge possibility at that level. That's where there was immense work that was Mm. done. You know, when you do that internal work, then the external kind of falls in line. Yeah, completely, completely. I, I I so agree with that. And I'm so curious about so many aspects of your journey I would really need to know about about how working with Deepak Chopra came to be. But I I first want to know who it was that introduced you to meditation and how it felt when you first started doing it. Because I know today it's so obviously it's a big trend getting into meditation and it's a wonderful thing. But also I think the way that that people, I think it's a really make or break situation, the way that you kind of start doing it and the intentions you have behind it and the expectations behind it, whether the practice is sustainable or ends up being sustainable or not. Um, so yeah, I would love to know how, how it felt for you getting into it and, and if it clicked for you right away, or if that took some time or just what it looked Um, like for you. I was introduced to meditation through Google through amazing through my this really revolutionary um, (laughs) insightful (laughs) guiding force um i i googled wellness southern california i didn't even google meditation at the time it was that um obscure of a of a practice really really so not mainstream and my therapist at the time said we need to work on your stress we need to work on how you're navigating uncertainty in your life, stress in your life. Have you tried meditation? And I said, no. And she said, okay, well look into it. And, um, and so I Googled wellness, Southern California. And, um, did you live, did you live in Southern California? Yeah, I lived in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Okay. And, um, and Deepak Chopra's wellness center came up and I called my mom and I said, do you know who Deepak Chopra is? Because I didn't, she said, yeah, obviously I know who Deepak Chopra is. You know, he's kind of a big deal. And I said, well, he has this center in San Diego and I think that I want to go there. I think I want to go and do like an Ayurvedic, which is a, you know, oldest healing wisdom Mm -hmm. science of life. Um, I think I want to do an Ayurvedic medical consultation and go to this free intro to meditation class. She was like, I think that's a great idea. And so I went down to San Diego for the day. I had this amazing consult with this doctor who was talking to me about 
my body and my symptoms in a way that no, no doctor had ever talked to me before. You know, they're telling me to rub coconut oil and talk to my hives and tell them, I hear you, I'm working on, you know, and so this mm-hmm. was like all so new to me. And, and I took the intro to meditation class, which was this hour long class. And the instructor was this very good looking guy. And I thought to myself, I'm really into this whole thing. I'm into this whole Ayurvedic thing. This he's hot. I don't know. Maybe I could like get a boyfriend out of coming and learning how to meditate. Very like, admittedly, very like ego based motivations. But but I did have a, you know in a in a very deep real way. I did have just this sense when I was there of I can heal here, like I can I can transform here, mm. and and I'll never I can still close my eyes and go back to being on the the property and what I ate for lunch that day. And I can still remember all of that. And, and so I took a a leap of faith and signed up for a week long Panchakarma, which is an Ayurvedic cleanse, really Mm -hmm. intense cleanse. And I went down there. I put it on a credit card. I certainly didn't have money to go down to the Chopra center for a week. I put it on a credit card um, and, and did a, did a week of cleansing, meditation, yoga, and after that, I just was in, you know, mm. there's no Kool-Aid that you drink, just FYI, yeah. but, but there was a, you know, figurative Kool-Aid, which was really just a glimpse at who I could be on the other side, at what my life could look like on the other side, at what my relationship with, with stress, with uncertainty, with worth could look like on the other side. And, and so I kept diving in. And so after that, I did a a three-day really immersive workshop there on emotional toxicity. And, and then not long after that, a year after that, I had quit my job because I knew I wanted to work in wellness. That was as clear as I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had no experience in any of this. And, and so within a year, I had quit my job and I moved to San Diego to work at the Chopra Center. Were you, did, were you offered a job there? Or you just kind of like took a leap? No, I was offered a job there. So okay. I, I, do you want to hear the story real quick? Yes, I would love to hear the story. I was in Los Angeles and I ordered some Ayurvedic herbs from the Chopra Center. I think it was like ashwagandha and mm-hmm. Googaloo maybe. And they sent me the wrong order. They sent me like a mala bracelet and this like super, super fruit juice. And, and I called them and, you know, because back, back then, back in the day, t- 10 years ago, you could call people and they would answer in products departments. And, uh, and they, and I said, you know, you guys sent me the wrong order. Just let me know how I send this back. And, and the person that answered is the woman that used to be my contact there. The person that kind of helped me navigate all of the offerings and knew about my story. And we had a, you know, a relationship. And so she said, oh my gosh, Megan, I remember you. How's everything going? And I said, oh, I'm doing really well. I quit my job. I'm going to work in wellness. I'm really excited to like help people transform. And, and she said, you know, there's a job opening here that I think you would be really great for. And she said, I'm going to forward your resume, send it to me. I'll forward it. And two days later I drove down there and I interviewed and I was hired on the spot, which doesn't happen very often there or anywhere. And within two days after that, I had leased an apartment and moved down there to work at a job that I had no experience in. That was very, you know, very much a leap of faith. What was your job? title, I guess. So I was a program consultant. So again, the woman who, who used to be my contact, it was the job that she, I didn't take her old job, but it was that position where you essentially are helping people navigate the offerings and being the, the kind of intermediary between if you wanted to go there and the actual events. And, and so it was building relationships and helping people navigate where they wanted to see growth and expansion in their life. So cool. It's amazing. How long did you end up there? I did that job for, gosh, I think it was, it was either two or three years. Um, maybe two. It was during that time that I got certified to become a meditation teacher. And so that was, you know, part of that journey being there was a lot of immersive self work, Mm -hmm. um, way before I started actually teaching meditation. And then, uh, and then I ended up moving back to LA because I missed the, the driving energy of Los Angeles. San Diego is very 
um, it was a little bit sleepy for my mm-hmm. like, New Yorker ambition, right? So I had this deep like sense of like, I want to be in it. I want to be like in the wellness world and making it, you know, and so I moved back to LA and, um, and I've been up here ever since. I kept working with them. I ended up very like godfather style. I like left and then I ended up getting pulled back in to help run their events and their teacher trainings. And then eventually I started teaching at the events and hosting mm. them. And so it was a really beautiful, um, like detached without any expectation, um, organic evolution of, of what I did there. So it's been an incredible presence in my life for, for 12 years now. So cool. So I th- I don't know, I haven't looked into the Chopra Center much, but I, from what you're saying, they have Ayurveda and meditation. And I think it's not just a meditation center. I feel like it's yeah, more of like a holistic program. So yeah. what informed, cause you, when you went, just wanted to work in wellness, like under the umbrella, but yeah. you didn't know if I'm correct, that it was meditation specifically that you wanted to work in. Right. So, certainly when I started working there. Right. So yeah. what kind of informed your path in terms of where in wellness you wanted to go when I think this was a time because today there are, I think the the different like sectors of well of the wellness world are so kind of like perfectly formatted in their different names and categories and you can just like find an internship or a job and like all the it's very kind of structured that it's like become an industry that's very like a well-oiled machine yeah um, but obviously at, at this time, which was only several years ago, it wasn't, I, it was a lot more vague, I would, I would think. And yeah. so what I want to know, what informed your path in terms of heading into the med- heading down the meditation route rather than maybe something else? Yeah, I was really connected to meditation and, and mm-hmm. my practice. And I really felt a deep sense of remembering who I, who I really was through my connection to to myself through meditation. And, and that's what I felt a deep desire to share with people. You know, I want to like remind you of who you are. I want you to be able to look at your life and see all the things that you are not, whether it's that thought you're having or that belief you have about yourself or that thing that happened to you and, and have a way to show people a way through that. Um, and for me, that was meditation. So I, I, I quickly was very deeply resonating with that practice and, and was attracted to the idea of being able to teach, teach that to people. Did you ever have, cause I know I've had, I think my, I grew up with a very spiritual mother and she kind of introduced me to meditation at a really young age. And even the idea of deep breathing and uh, yoga and all of that. It was very present from when I was, from before I even understood what was going on. Yeah. Uh, but I have definitely had moments in my own experiences with meditation that have very much awakened me to, to what it is and to its power and where I've just come out of, whether it's a 20 minute meditation or a hour long chant, like a kirtan or something where that I've had standout ones where I've come out of it going like, holy shit, like this is magic. And I want to know if you, or kind of, I guess, what your maybe first or a significant memory that you had with meditation that was kind of revolutionary for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've definitely had a few that, that stand out even when you, even when you say that there was one that happened not that, not that long ago, actually, that, that was really different from anything I'd ever experienced. It happened in, uh, in Rome, so I was in Rome. I was there for, I was in, in Florence for a wedding and I was flying out of Rome. So I spent a day like touring the city. I went to the Vatican and took the like very extended tour um, all around the Vatican, which was incredible. And then at the end they said, you know, if you want to go in and sit and pray um, in, in St. Peter's, right? Is that what's at the Vatican? St. Peter's mm-hmm. um, Basilica, you can, you can go in there. And so after the tour was over, I went and sat in there and I sat in the front pew and it was, it was loud. There was, you know, people milling around and, and I decided that I was going to sit and meditate. And so I sat down and I, I closed my eyes. I put my hands on my, my legs, my palms facing upward. And I just started to meditate. And all of a sudden I started to hear um, like violins and like instrumentals, like string instrument instrumentals, faint, but loud enough that I could clearly hear it. And, And then they started getting louder 
And all of a sudden, tears just started like streaming down from my eyes. And it didn't, I didn't have that, that like swell of emotion that comes before you cry. It just, it just started appearing as if someone like took eye drops and like was, you know, putting them onto my cheeks. And, and there was this just deep, profound sense of, sense of something, sense of stillness, sense of connection, sense of something. And, and then all of a sudden, maybe two minutes after that had started, all of a sudden the tears stopped and the music stopped. And, you know, there were no, there were no string instruments in St. Peter's that day. And, and it was, um, it was incredible. It was, it was one of the most, one of the most profound, you know, moments of my life. Wow. That's so amazing. I love it. It gives me chills to hear that because my mom and I have a very special relationship with randomly the Vatican and also just churches in general. We, I'm not Christian, not of the Christian faith, didn't spend a lot of time going to church when I was little. And I'm Um, not Catholic, so it's not like totally like, yeah, right? (laughs) Exactly. And like, neither is she. If anything, we're like very spiritual, but no, no really intense religious following or anything like that, um, especially not within the Catholic faith. But we have a really intense connect. We, she's all, we've always been each other's travel buddies since I was really little. And even still, like usually every summer we're gone, we're gone for like a month. And for the past couple summers, we've gone to Italy and we've always, people might think it's like whatever, a super touristy thing to do, but we love going to the Vatican and we walk all around and we go into the Sistine Chapel and we'll like hold each other and look up at the, at the painting on the ceiling and just kind of like have these really spiritual moments together. And she, yeah, every time we go into a church and we will be last summer, um, our trip was, our trip is kind of different every summer. Last summer we were, uh, we took a road trip all over. We drove from like Tuscany to road, like everywhere. And, um, we would go into all of these little teeny chapels, like whether it was like the Vatican or a little tiny chapel in like some countryside town. And she cries every time. And it's not like an emotional sob or anything, but it's just like this, like such pure emotion and like spiritual connection. It's, it's very special. So yeah, it makes me really happy to hear that you had that experience. Yeah, it was incredible. It was really, um, yeah, it was really special. So after you moved back to LA and you knew you wanted to be a meditation teacher, what did the, first of all, I would love to know, cause I was, I don't know, probably like in high school or something or middle school, like running around, wasn't really connected to like the wellness industry as a business person yeah. in terms of, um, how different it is from today's wellness world. What did it look like? I guess marketing yourself as a practitioner in the wellness world several years ago? And how did you get started? How did you get clients? What did that look like for you? Yeah, that's a good question. And when I moved, I certainly didn't have, you know, a book of business. I, you know, I had worked with a few clients while I was in San Diego, either remotely or, or in Los Angeles, but I certainly didn't have um, a book of business. And, mm-hmm. and it was, it was all word of mouth. You know, there was definitely the first couple of, maybe the first year and a half, I worked with um, a friend of mine. He had a company, a company in like event staffing, which was obviously not wellness related, but I had my, I had my part-time job that helped me pay my bills. And then I had my, you know, meditation hustle. And, and it was just a lot of, it was a lot of putting myself out there. Mm. It was a lot of, um, a lot of networking, a lot of going to places that had, had kind of meditation or, you know, I remember the, one of the first places I taught at was um, Mystic Journey, which was a crystal store mm-hmm. in Venice. Yeah. They built this back patio and they wanted to start having meditations there. So I was, I was leading those for a while. I really quickly got introduced 
well, I didn't get introduced. I walked in and introduced myself to um, Unplug Meditation, which is the first. Oh yeah, I used to I used to go there. Yeah, first ever drop-in meditation studio. So like dry bar for meditation, you go in and you leave, and and that was such a revolutionary place. So I I walked in there before they opened and said, "Hi, I I teach meditation. Are you looking for teachers?" It was a lot of that. It was a lot of a lot of outbounding. You know, a lot did you of- teach there? Yeah, I still do. You ended up, oh no, I was there. So I didn't, I don't have like a long standing yeah. relationship with them. I haven't been going, I haven't been going for a while, but my yoga teacher, since I was like tiny, like my mom, when we first moved to LA, we moved here when I was two years old. Yeah. My mom and I, and my, my mommy and my brother moved um, to a house in Brentwood that was across the street from Maha Yoga in the Brentwood Country Mart. And she used to take Steve Ross's class yeah. and I used to run around it was so funny. I would run around in, in a diaper or like in a onesie and then the onesie would come off and then the diaper would come off. Like all the clothes would come off and I was running around naked. And then I started taking the class when I was like 11. I could kind of keep up. And then as I became a teenager and then a young adult, I was like religious Steve Ross class taker. Yeah. And he then started doing, I went to all of his chanting yeah. uh, that he would do at Maha. And then he started teaching it unplugged and I used to go and and yeah. do his guided meditation. Yeah, there aren't that many of us that are still that are still there that were I part know. of that like OG crew. But yeah. Yeah, I still teach a few public classes a week with them virtually right now. But um, yeah, so it was you know it was me putting myself out there and really looking back, really asserting to the world and to people that I met, you know, that I teach meditation and I would love to teach meditation for your community. You know, there was a lot of of me having to be really rooted in in my worth even before mm-hmm. I was an experienced teacher, right? Even as like a little baby teacher, having to say to people, I'd love to teach for you and, and, and really leaning into my ability to do that and and get my reps in. Um, So it was a lot of that all word of mouth, you know, individual clients, some corporate stuff. It was me really just figuring it out. I had no idea what I was doing. There was not a business plan. There was, I don't recommend that, but there was no business plan. There was no, there was no cash reserve. There was, you know, it was just me figuring it out. Um, and also this was before branding yourself on an Instagram was a thing. Oh my God, absolutely. I know, I look back. Sometimes I, I don't think I've even deleted all of it because it's <laughs> to do that. But I look back and I'm like, oh gosh, like nobody cares what that sticker said on my, you know, stick shift. It's yeah. really funny what you see when you look back. Um, did you have, did you struggle at all with, with kind of, putting yourself out there in a confident way as a meditation teacher. I think that's as a 24 year old person breaking into the professional world at some point, I think about it all the time, like what it's going to look like for me, whether it's in like photography, which I've, I've done or in the future as a counselor, I, I just always think about how that's going to be when I initially have to start kind of like introducing myself as like, yes, I am this and I'm good at it and I'm not any less worthy of listening to than this other professional that's been around for a while. But I think it's kind of a daunting notion to sort of like introduce yourself as something, not just you, but you as this This role. role. How was that for you? I think because I knew that I was in integrity with the amount of studying that I had done, the work that I had done to be a certified meditation teacher. Mm -hmm. I didn't just figure it, you know, I didn't figure it out. I came from a lineage of meditation that was established. I had a certification. I had done the work to say I'm a, I'm a Chopra certified meditation teacher, you know, and I definitely leaned into, I leaned into that vouch. I leaned into the collective opt-in of, of going through that certification process. Um, hmm. as a confidence booster before I, before I felt like on my own without that, you know, street cred, if you will. Um, I was, I was good enough, which is, you know, thankfully where I am now, but, but that helps. I think if you, so I would say, depending on what it is, having, having, having done the work and knowing that you put the work in is, a, is something that you can lean into. Mm-hmm. To gain confidence completely and to, to affirm a sense of worth. If you know that you're not faking it, if you know that you went and got certified or you did the program to become a marriage family therapist, even if you're not as practiced as you will be someday, you know what you're doing. 
Yeah, the license, the education process and the license process does mean a lot to me because there are counselors yeah. and therapists, air yeah. quotes, that are making a good living with yeah. no formal education and no license and yeah. a few and friends. For some things, that's fine. Yeah. You know, and for others, I think it, it really does you a disservice. Yeah, I think that for me, it's not as much as I do know that it's it's important to a lot of clients, future clients, to see those letters at the end of your name. It's just a thing. People like yeah. it. People yeah. feel safe with it. They know that they're in practiced hands. For me, it's more of knowing that doing a program like that will just give me a t- like give me time and structure to learn a lot that I don't know about the human brain, about psychology, yeah. about because I was an art history major. So as much as I'm good at speaking to people and I can have very, I can sort of nurture very honest and constructive conversation. Yeah. So I know that I will be a good therapist. I will be good at doing that. But I don't have knowledge of kind of the, the more the practical side of it that I think will be a big confidence booster in, in knowing what to do. I think that if I just kind of went for it, I can feel that I would sometimes be swimming a little and like lost. Uh, I think that there is something to be said for learning for sure. The the other thing too, that I leaned into a lot was my desire for doing this. So Mm -hmm. when I would say to someone, you know, I'm a meditation teacher, I would love to teach meditation for you, or I would love to, you know, work with your company or, you know, whatever, whatever the context was the goal for me, the, the deepest intention, the sankalpa, right, wasn't to be a meditation teacher. It was to help people transform, to help mm-hmm. people remember who they are. And when you can come from that deepest seed of purpose, I do find that there is, you know, a greater energy that fuels you. If you feel connected to why you're here and, and what you're here to do, it's really hard to discount that. It's really hard to get in the way if you can surrender into that greater energy of dharma, of purpose. Mm-hmm. And for me, and not every job, not everyone's job aligns with that energy. So that's something that's important to know because I think right now we really glamorize, you know, the entrepreneur and the I make a living being a, you know, whatever it is, whatever mm-hmm. the niche right dharmic expression is. Yeah. So to know that that doesn't have to be what that looks like. But but for me, staying connected to that and that deepest why, like why I'm going into this building to introduce myself as a meditation teacher is not to find worth in myself as a meditation teacher. It's to help people. Right. That makes so much sense because I was sort of thinking about asking about how it is nowadays dealing with the the inevitably competitive nature of the wellness world in Los Angeles as a practitioner. There are just so many practitioners, so many teachers. And I think that it goes without saying that for you, I think, or for anybody with a very clear sense of worth and confidence in what they do, that sort of takes care of the competitive aspect for you. You're not going to feel threatened by the competition of how many other teachers there are when you feel like you have something really true to offer. Do you find that? Absolutely. And I think that really also is, is supported when you are you know, authentically using your voice. And that comes with experience because for a little while, you're just going to like quote all your teachers. And for a little while, you're just going to lean into other people's words and ways of teaching or truths. And then as you do the, the mental reps or the physical reps as a teacher, as a practitioner, whatever it is, as an artist, whatever it might be, then all of a sudden you have your own voice. So mm-hmm. my voice is so uniquely me for all of the obvious reasons, because no one else is me, right? Mm-hmm. What's that line? Like, no one else can be you as good as you can. So, so like, <laughs> or don't try to be, don't, yeah, yeah, everybody else is taken. Like, don't, yeah. yeah. Everybody else is taken, right? All those really annoying one-liners are all mm-hmm. so devastatingly true. Yeah, um, they are. But when you are, when you are rooted and grounded in your unique voice, then you are unstoppable. And if no one else is going to be as good of a teacher as I am, as myself, Mm-hmm. So, so I think that really helps to kind of dissipate that, that sense of there's not enough room for all of us. There's not a, you know, there's not a place for me here. I'm not good enough. Completely. It really helps with that. 
Yeah. So I want to talk about your book because that's very exciting. That was published last year, right? Last year. Mm -hmm. So what did that, what did the process of, of, this book look like how did it did you was this your idea or were you approached with a book deal or were it was it something you dreamed of of? yeah it's another one of those kind of like Chopra-esque effortless I guess I'm going to be guided to this you know there was that deep desire to share my teaching with more people to expand you know who I could reach and it ended up looking like an email from a publisher that said hey have you ever thought about writing a book and that ended up not being a good fit, but that sparked me thinking about it in a tangible way and having to draft out an idea. And that became a conversation with my friend's book agent, which then became, let's write a real proposal and and shop it. And I sold it and it was published. And, you know, and it's, again, that idea that, that there is a greater force that is supporting you being who you are meant to be in the world, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, it's it's such an example of that. Cause I wasn't a writer, you know, I wasn't known in the world as a writer. If someone Mm -hmm. approached me and said, we really want you to give a keynote talk, like that's great. And I can see why you think I'd be good at that. But for someone to, for someone to say, I'm going to look at all the things you've done in the world and, and all the work you've ever put out, none of which was written really, except for like an Instagram quote and to say, we're going to give you a book deal, right? It has, it's, it has very little to do with me creating that opportunity and all to do with me being connected to the deepest why and being open to the absolute greatest expression of that, whatever that tangibly looks like. Mm. So it was, can you, can you trust yourself enough? Do you have enough worth to put yourself out there and, and write a book, do something new, do something that's really vulnerable and um, and I just kept saying yes. And I wrote a book, even though I had no idea how to write a book, you know? So like I said, it's, it's so much less to do with us. Totally. So for those who don't know, what is the book called and what is, I guess, the premise of the book? Yeah. It's called Don't Hate, Meditate, Five Easy Practices to Get You Through the Hard Shit and Into the Good. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to keep it a little like New York edgy. And, and the premise is really that the lens that you see the world through is not a fixed one. Mm. We are really conditioned at an early age to see things in a very certain way. And, and that lens, that set of glasses that you're given at a young age is not the set of glasses that you always have to see the world through. So there's, um, I was very inspired by my like 14, 15 year old self making uh, or taking cosmopolitan quizzes and 17 magazine quizzes. Mm -hmm. There's a quiz that you take in the beginning in these key areas of presence, acceptance, intention, non-judgment and trust. So you take a quiz to find out kind of where you sit in all of those five areas, those five kind of spiritual um, filters, if you will. And then the book is broken down into those five sections. And I, I have meditations and anecdotes and really tangible takeaway tools and, and just different ways to expand and elevate your relationship with those, uh, with those qualities. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. We love that. Really and she's really cute. You guys, she's real pretty. She looks really good on like a coffee table with a candle. I, the, the a great Christmas elder, gift. A great Christmas gift. The elder <laughs> millennial in me was really happy with like the color throughout and like, it's really, it's really pretty. So side note. Yeah. That's so amazing. So then after you published the book, how has that kind of, if it has changed your, your career as a teacher, do you have like more play? Do you kind of want to go more into writing or kind of practice? And also how has all of this changed your, your career as a teacher? I would love to know. Yeah. Um, It definitely has. I'm used to giving talks and teaching people in person. And so I've definitely shifted that um, and created more of a digital platform mm-hmm. for my work. So I actually just released a 21 day guided meditation series called 21 days to thrive. That is um, that's out just as a way to support people. And so, so I've had to for sure pivot and mm-hmm. start to look at how I can be um, a positive, impactful influence in people's lives through meditation virtually. So that's definitely happening. The book for sure inspired me to want to write another book. So I've been, you know, playing around with a couple ideas for that, although I wasn't all that inspired to 
write that much this year, but, mm-hmm. but I definitely have, I've, I've started and there's some ideas there. Um, and again, maybe I don't know what's best. Yeah, completely. It's the best. Again, the best. I want to I touch as many people as possible with this practice of meditation that has transformed every single part of my life externally and internally. And so if that looks like writing 15 books, I'll become a 15 book author. If that looks like whatever, you know, maybe I don't know what's best. Amazing. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to keep that one with me. I love that. I don't know what's best. It is liberating because your, you know, your present moment self really thought like bless her heart, really thought that she knew it was best. Totally. And she thought it was this one really specific thing in a world of things. And if you let go of the idea that that was the best thing and that you just lost it, you all of a sudden open up the floodgates to a thousand things. That's kind of the thing I was talking to my, the woman that was helping me with, with my application and who's helped me through all of my school stuff. Um, She just was asking me how I felt about it. And I said, I feel this sounds cheesy, but I feel like I receive an acceptance letter every day of my life. I feel like every moment is an acceptance letter. My relationships that I have that are so beautiful are acceptance letters. My like access to clean food and an amazing bed and horses and all these beautiful, it's an acceptance letter. Like I really think, and my relationship with myself that I've worked so hard to build is an acceptance letter. So just because- So are you going to take this one- letter that isn't a full-blown acceptance like that personally, right? Yeah, no. That's a good perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love the, I love the, maybe I don't know what's best. Maybe it's, I know what's best. In fact, yeah. I definitely don't. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the best. So the what, best. what is your self-care, mental health, meditation practice look like personally? What are some things that you implement in your life that kind of help you to not only take care of all of these, these people that you touch on such a deep level, but also yourself. Cause you can't, can't feed from an empty bucket yeah, as they say. Yeah, no, I definitely, I mean, I have my own personal meditation practice. So mm-hmm. I, I teach depending right now I'm doing IG lives every day through the end of the year. So I'm teaching every day, twice a day, but even when I'm not teaching on a particular day, I meditate usually twice a day. Is it um, TM that you do? It's really similar to TM. Yeah. Okay. Sort of Deepak Chopra's um, translation of, of Vedic meditation. Okay. So, so I practice that on my own. I, you know, my, my practices have looked very different this year. Generally speaking, one of my biggest ways to have space held for me is through workouts, through like group workouts or workouts with a trainer, some, some environment where someone else is is doing the, doing the teaching where I just get to like surrender and and do what I'm told. Right. Mm -hmm. Even if it's 20 burpees. Yeah. And so that has been something that's really lacking and something that I'm hoping the Peloton that I ordered today will fix. Oh yes. Um, Amazing gift to yourself. I'm really really having to like shift in that area because I'm realizing that there's a huge void there in, in me missing that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do a lot of I I do a lot of internal reflection, whether that's journaling, whether that's alone time. Um, I I do a lot of internal reflection and just kind of contemplation outside of meditation where there is questioning of what I've been thinking, a check-in and kind of an audit of what thoughts I've been letting. I call it like what thoughts have I been letting backstage? You know, Mm -hmm. not every thought that you have needs to have like the, the yes, pass. I saw that on your Instagram the other day and I was just like, this is so yeah. good. Not every thought needs to go backstage. You can send some home after like that moment. after mm-hmm. the over. So I do a lot. I would say the biggest thing that regulates my internal state is a very regular audit of that, mm. like throughout the day. Yeah. Throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And I really try to check in with what I, I started doing a practice this year because of COVID where I, I sort of check in with my body and I have a conversation with my body and I say, what do you need? Like, what can you give me today? Is this out loud or in your, in, or in your head? It's in my head. Okay. I'm like, is it? Yeah. It's in my head. (laughs) I check in with my mind, you know, and I say, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What can you give me today? You know, what do you have space for? I check with my heart. So I try to be really honest about what all those layers of me 
need, how they're doing and what they have the capacity to give Mm. so that I'm not, I'm not committing to things that I can't do. I'm not spreading myself too thin. I'm, I really try to, I really try to acknowledge that and and honor that. Amazing. Well, this has just been so great. Like I feel selfish doing, like I'm so happy for everyone else that is going to hear this. But I honestly, just sitting here and speaking to you, feel like I've had the greatest privilege of like a private session with you. I just, (laughs) your energy is so beautiful. And just from the minute, like the first two minutes of us speaking over this computer call, I just felt like I was vibrating with good energy, which I honestly, over the last two days, haven't (laughs) been feeling. Um, But yeah, this has really been an honor and I really can't wait to get to know you more and to definitely do your, your Instagram lives. And I'm for sure going to reach out after this to see how I can kind of sneak in there to do some, some private work with you because this has honestly just been so positive. And I honestly struggle. I struggle with a meditation practice and I'm so, it's been a part of my life forever and I have a hard time and you've just been very inspiring and I'm I'm so 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 happy that we've connected and thank you so much for for talking to me on here you are so welcome i got you it's all good it's not that serious even when it's really serious it's not that serious Mm, it's the best advice where can we where can we find you on on the internet you can find me on the gram at meg monahan my website is megan monahan and if you go to meditate with megan i can't believe it was available Meditate with Megan, no H. I spell it correctly. Mm-hmm. Meditatewithmegan.com is where the 21 Days to Thrive series is living. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. I'm texting you right after we hop <laughs> off of here. Thank you so, so much. You're welcome, love. Bye. See you Bye. soon. Bye.